Right, let me just try and say what's on my heart. Um, I'd like you to turn to the Ephesian letter. And I guess we'll, we'll come, come in at verse 2. Chapter 1, of course. And every um, letter that Paul or anyone else in the New Testament wrote, they always begin with this, um, I don't know what to call it, prayer, impartation, however you want to put it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you were to just, just remind you one of the things as we go along, I mean, the best definition I know of biblical grace is everything that God has and is given to us as, as a free gift through faith. And it's not just about getting our sins forgiven. That's, of course, a, a significant part of it, but it's, it's everything that God is and has made available to us as a, as a, as a free gift through faith. And it's like the, the, the grace is like a treasure house with all the resources of God made available to us. But you've got to, but it's, the door's locked. And to get in, you've got to learn to unlock the door. And the only key that works is the key of faith. And I would, I would imagine that uh, 95% of Christians live on 1%. Amen? And they don't learn how to access the unsearchable riches, which is you know, by grace. And then the word peace, which I've spoken about many times, it's, a, it's um, a total mending of a relationship which was formerly hostile in, in such a way that those adversaries are now lovers of one another. Amen? And so when it talks about God making peace through the blood of his cross, like Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, God made peace through the blood of his cross. In other words, <coughs> he so dealt with the hostility between us because we were, we thought, we were enemies of God and outside of the kingdom and all those terrible things. But now God made peace through the blood of his cross so that we're now not just at the end of the war. That's not biblical peace. It's not, it's, it's, um, it's two enemies being reconciled so that we fall in love with each other and have a deep, intimate love life together. Now, God took all the initiative and he made peace. And that's why it says in you know, the, the um, Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 and verse 9 blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called mature grown up sons of God so so we have to become like him and be a peacemaker amen now let's move on blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus you, you could that's in the past perfect tense it's already done he has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And there's two threads here, and, and I've just been spending a lot of time around in India and Europe because there's so many heresies, there's so many, and of course it's all around America. Just up in Tennessee, I was appalled and amazed at the sort of stuff that people are believing and, and listening to and the teachers that are teaching. On the one hand, you've got universal salvation where God's such a loving God that he would never, ever send anybody to hell. So that's a, 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 a myth of the medieval church. And on the other hand, um, God, God is, is um, uh, so loving and uh, he's so sovereign that everybody's going to be saved, including the devil in his extreme form. Because he's, he's so sovereign, he's going to end up getting everybody saved. And, and even the devil will be there uh, with us in, in glory and every kind of rubbish. And, 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 and I'm not going to go into it all, but, but the things that, and then what's hit me again and again and again, I've been dealing with this in every situation, is, is moral failure of every kind. It's all over the place. I mean, the lists of leaders and the people and the worship leaders, and oh, my God, I tell you, it's, uh, it's just been terrible. And, um, and yet, I, I, I'm totally confident as, as that beautiful uh, vision and prophetic word that God gave Eileen, I'm totally confident that there is the, that faithful remnant that are going to be the victors and they're going to produce a visitation of God in this nation um, that's going to be so powerful that uh, it, we've never been anywhere near it in the whole history of this nation before. I'm totally confident about the outcome. Amen. And, but here we're told that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world and the purpose was that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Amen? And I want to spend a little... And, and what I felt tonight was I want to talk about the, the, the true balance of holiness because I've just been... Um, I've been in a, an area where it's uh, Lutherism, it's uh, Calvinism, and, you know, there's a passion for holiness, but the passion is that... Uh, and they realize, you know, in the better teachers at least, that there is a cooperation between man and God, you know, that God is the, is the sovereign author of it all and it has to be a right response. But, but the whole purpose, as you read these things, and the whole teaching is that we become holy in order to fit us for heaven. And there's nothing relational about it. And, and I, as I was praying over this this afternoon, God sort of gave me a picture of a very fastidious housewife who's got a beautiful home and she's got some wonderful marble statues and, and she likes to keep them scrupulously clean. And so so, she's, so I saw this sort of beautiful marble statue and, and, and it's absolutely clean, there's not a speck on it anywhere. And, and, it, and, it, and it wouldn't fit into her home unless it was flawless and speckless because she's that kind of person. So everything in the home is immaculate. It's all totally um, without blemish. But she doesn't have a relationship with that statue. Amen? It would just offend her if it wasn't that pure and clean. But it, there's no relationship. Now, there's a whole concept of holiness which, which really teaches along those lines that in order to be in heaven and to be compatible with heaven, we've got to be pure and holy, which is absolutely true. But it's not going far enough because God is not interested in having a lot of perfect souls that he has no relationship with. The purpose of God is he says, I want to mend a relationship, which brings us back to that word peace that I briefly touched on because what he wants is he wants to be uh, our lover and wants us to love him. 
And as he is holy, and it's impossible for him to be other than holy, we have to become holy to facilitate that relationship. Amen? So, so that the purpose of holiness is that we become more and more compatible with God and we can have a greater and greater intimacy with God. And that as a result, we can basically... Um, we, I mean, the, word, the, wording, the wording in some parts of the New Testament is so incredible that we sort of merge into one person. Like in Ephesians 2, where it talks about us seated together with Christ on his throne. Um, it, it actually says we're seated together in him. And he's seated together in us. And in some places he's in us, and some places we're in him. And you know, several times we're told that we, that we have been Christed into Christ. We have put on Christ. You know, and all this sort of language. It's, uh, and, and, uh, and, and God wants to have what he ne- not fully had, but, but temporarily had part of it when he had perfect fellowship with Adam and Eve before they sinned. That was the relationship of innocence. But it wasn't anything like the depth or the completeness that he was looking for. And before that was possible, they had stepped out into independence and he lost the relationship. Now, what God is after is, is, is looking for a people that will, that will come into that relationship. Amen? And, and, and so the, the purpose of holiness is to allow an ever-increasing intimacy with God, in ever-increasing compatibility, that we, ha- we might have a deeper love and a different relationship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. And I've got sort of, as I was doing this, I got sort of some alliteration going. And so, the, if you like, the first thing about holiness is, is it's a call to purity. But it, it, it's pure purity for the purpose of compatibility in order that the relationship between us and God might get deeper and richer and richer and deeper until we more and more love him and he more and more is able to come nearer and nearer to us without it being a threat, without it being uh, um, damaging or destructive, but, it, but, but we, just, we just be increasingly become like him, that we might be increasingly compatible with him. And of course that's the language particularly of the Gospel of John, who, um, and he wrote his, his Gospel and particularly the chapters sort of 14 through 15, the great upper room discourse of Jesus. And um, so let's just go to that for a moment. I'm not going to spend time on this, but I, what I want you to get from this this evening is that you can let this soak in you until it becomes part of you. I think I've told you um, before, and it's mentioned in my book on the good fight of faith, that as God was getting me ready to do something in the, the city of Bombay, and he wanted intimacy with me, he told me to, to go on a fast for three weeks and just to read Ephesians chapter 1, as far as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, and to read it again and again, read nothing else, meditate on it, pray about it, until it literally became part of me. And it did become part of me in a depth that I can't even get into words. Um, and and I, I just long for that to be, and I know he longs for that to become the experience of, of certainly all of us in this room, and, and, and that remnant church which will, which will pay the price for intimacy. Amen? And I feel that this is what this little group here is all about. And, and so if you come to John chapter 14, uh, um, he, as you know, in verse 2, it, there's so much mistranslation because the, the strength of what is being said is beyond the translators to comprehend. And so they feel, well, it can't mean that. We've got we've to water it down to something more reasonable. So, so the first place that comes is in verse 2 where Jesus is talking about what's going to happen at his resurrection. 
But many of the translators are talking about when he comes at his second coming. And that, you know, that I've got a home in glory land that outcrowns the sun. And all, you know, I'm looking to have a sort of great big fancy mansion with six bathrooms and, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. I've got a, and, and this word mansion, which is put in verse 2, is a total mistranslation. And the word is dwelling place. In my father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And he's talking to Peter, who's just failed completely. And he's now beginning to discover that Peter, in his own strength and by his own effort, he's not going to make it. He's got to stop being strong in the, the flesh and become weak in the spirit so that he can become empowered by the power of grace. Amen? And that's what some people have to learn. And this is what I've been partly dealing with in some places. Is it's amazing how far some people can go in their own strength and, 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 and doing it for God rather than being in partnership with God to be doing it together with God. And, and now, I mean, I remember the, the testimony of Hudson Taylor. He went on for 20 years like that. He was such a strong, able person. He had so much ability that he, he ran an a, a, a incredible mission for 20 years until he finally came to an exhaustion point and he said, oh, Lord, I can't go on any, any longer. And God said, good. <laughs> God said, for the last 20 years, I've been trying to live my life. You've been living your life th for me, but I've been trying to live my life through you. And he talks about the exchange life where he, he died to himself and was then able to just present his humanity as a living sacrifice that God could come and indwell and literally possess it as his very own. Amen? And of course, Jesus is the perfect model of that. That's how he lived all 33 and a half years. And now he's saying to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, well, Lord, I don't know where. And Jesus said, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. In other words, the whole purpose of, is, is, is to reconnect us properly with the Father. Now, we've used that verse for many, many years as a, as a gospel message, and it's not wrong, except that we're talking about going to heaven, and, and God's talking about coming to the Father. Amen? So, so, so that the, the goal of, of the Spirit of God is to bring us into fellowship with the Father. And that's why later on in John 16, Jesus says that, that when the Spirit comes, he's going to show you the Father. The, and, and as I've said many times, and you heard me say it, that the whole emphasis here is that when the Spirit comes, he's going to make it possible for us to know the Father and to know the Son and to know the Spirit in the same way that Jesus knew them in, the, in, in his humanity. And he used his human spirit purely for the purpose of knowing the Father and knowing the Spirit. And, and what many of us have to do, particularly in the West, is we've got to develop our spirit man so that he or she has been as highly developed as our physical man and our inter intellectual man. Because we spend a lot of time in America educating our mind, a lot of time developing our bodies, but m m most Christians are just pygmies spiritually. Amen? And, and, and so if you come down to verse... Um, I'll just finish, finish this bit with... Um, and and then, then he says this, he's, he's using himself and his relationship with God the Father as a model which they are called to literally imitate. And that comes again and again in Scripture. As I've said several times, the Greek word is the word mimetis, which means literally to mimic, copy me. And then the Apostle Paul, who got this message very, very strongly, was able to say to his disciples, you copy me as I copy Christ. 
He was the greatest revealer of what this message is all about, um, except perhaps from the Apostle John, who, because of his much, many more years of life, was able to go even, even further into these things than he, even Paul was. And that's why I think God kept him alive, and he had 60 years to learn what it means to know the Father. And as a result, he became that wonderful, great apostle that, that uh, wrote those, that, that this particular gospel. But he says that, that um, believe me, verse 11, that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works. And he says so many times that everything that I say and do, it's the Father and it's the Spirit in me using my humanity to say and to do these things. I don't do anything of myself. I've learned completely to hand myself over as a com constant, complete living sacrifice so that all you see coming out of me during these years of my humanity is you see the Father and the Spirit using me as their very own. And he said, now when I've come back in resurrection and when I ascend to the Father and when I send the Spirit, then that same relationship is going to be possible for you. That the Father and, of course, now the Son and the Spirit can all live in your humanity and have complete uh, freedom, if you give it to them, to work through your humanity the same way that they did through Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, um, verse 12, he who believes in me, that is, who sticks to me like glue. I mean, you know that word. I've talked about it many times. You, you, you absolutely adhere to, to me and to my word, and you stick to me like, like glue. It's like using one of these impact adhesives that once you've pressed you know, two pieces of wood together, um, the, the, the glue is so strong, if you try and tear it apart, it will not rip at the joint. It will rip in the wood. The wood gives away before the joint does. And, and that's how I believe we're to be so stuck to God uh, uh, and to his word that when everything else is falling apart, everything else is, that, 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 that adhesion to him and his word, that, that's, that will not break, whatever the pressure. Amen? And, and he who believes in me, the works that I do, and he do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Amen? Well, I could spend a lot of time on that, and, and, and I think that I want to set you some homework. I've had over these next two or three weeks, this is what God is saying. I've got to prepare myself, this people, to this degree, and I'm crying out for you to respond in the right way. Amen? So, let me just say uh, one more thing and that about holiness. I mean, there are, if you go through all the scriptures and go through all the literature on the way the word was used, you can basically come out with two things, that holiness is, is, is certainly an absence from sin. It's perfection, it's purity, it's being as sinless as God himself. And, that's, and then you are as holy as God is holy. And that's an emphasis which is the major emphasis of the holiness movements, particularly the, the, the evangelical um, Calvinistic ones, because their, their whole purpose was for the power of God sovereignly, with their cooperation, to make them into sinless beings. But the idea of fellowship or relationship was unknown to them. And that's a very important part of holiness. But the other way this word is used, the word hagios, the Greek word, is to be set apart exclusively for a particular use. That's what it means, if you like, to be sanctified. And I've used this illustration many times of how when we used to live in India and, and Eileen, uh, we used to boil the water every day and we had this plastic bucket that was kept for only exclusively for drinking water. And when I tried one day to use it for a dirty purpose, and Eileen caught me in the act. Um, she was upset. 
And I said, well, look, I'll clean it up perfectly afterwards. I, it, I mean, I just wanted to drain some oil out of my vehicle, which, of course, wasn't a good thing to use for a drinking water. But I thought, I'll get it so clean, you'd never know that I've used it for a dirty purpose. And she said, you can't have this bucket even once for a dirty purpose. Now, that's a perfect picture of sanctification. Amen? And set apart exclusively for a particular use. In other words, I'm set apart exclusively for God. And I, and, and, and I can't even use me for myself. Hello. Amen? I, I, I'm his. And, to, and, for, and for me to take back myself and do my own thing, you know, even like, well, you know, I've, I've served God for 90, 90, 90 hours this week, so let me go off and do my thing for a little bit. Now, that's many people and many Christians and many churches feel that's perfectly legitimate. And it's not that God's a sport because he loves to have fun, but do you have it? Fun with God, Amen. And he's a, he's a fun God, and 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 but but you can't have yourself back, even for a little while, Amen. Amen. Now, so so that's the other side of sanctif. That's another dimension of sanctification to be set apart exclusively for a particular use, Amen. All right, and let me. And then the purpose for God is that we should then come into relationship with him and, and, and with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And then we become workers together with God. Um, and, and there's several verses. One, I'll just go to one. That's Second Corinthians chapter 6. But there's, it's all over the New Testament. This, the thought and the actual words. And if we were to pull up every scripture, it would take the whole... Evening. Just come to Second Corinthians, chapter six, and it says, "We then, as workers together with Him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain." And I'm not going to go into why it's said there, but just that phrase, that we then, as workers together with God, and you can find many other references which say basically the same thing. We plead with you not to receive the grace of God in gain. So the purpose of God's grace is to enable us to be workers together with him. So, so we come into partnership. And that's my next word, is partnership. So, the, so when the sanct, as the sanctifying process goes on becoming more and more complete, the possibility of partnership with God becomes more and more a reality and a possibility. And that, that's where this great Greek word um, Koinonia comes in. Um, and I'm just going to turn you for a moment to first, chat, first John. I mean, my difficulty was how many hundreds of verses to leave out. Uh, but, but I want you to come to First John. And he's giving this great testimony of how um, they actually looked upon, touched and handled the very word of life. They touched and saw the very life of God. That's what he says in verse 1. That life was manifested, we've seen it, we bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. We saw all that who God is and all, all, that, all the fullness of God's eternal life pouring, radiating out from the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said we touched it, we handled it, we looked intently upon it. And that's incredible, isn't it? And the closer you got, the more wonderful it was. Now, I've had the, the privilege and the pleasure of being close to quite a few you know, big ministries, and some of them are, I've never been disappointed, but I have to say that with some, they look great on the platform, but you get behind the scenes and you think, 
Well, I wish I never got that close to them because I used to. <laughs> but the nearer you got to Jesus, the better he was. Amen. He was, he was never a disappointment. Amen. And then next verse, he says, that which we, now this is the incredible saying, that which we have seen and heard, we now proclaim it to you. In other words, what John has, has gone through, he's gone through certain stages. While he was a disciple of Jesus, he was, first of all, he was, he was drawn to that life. And then as he got near to Jesus, I think he got to the point where that life became so, um, such a condemnation to him, it, it frightened him. And that's the stage that we can go through. But then he got to the point where, although he's, he was awed by that life as he touched it and handled it, and saw his own shabby life by comparison to that. And him, because he was known as, with his brother James as having a foul temper. I mean, Jesus called him the sons of thunder. And, you know, they, they had a you know, violent, explosive temper. And, or, and, and, and he, oh, I wish I could be like him. And, and, and then, then comes the longing to be like him. And, then f and, and that teaching in the upper room, which he so carefully recorded, so he must have, every word must have st stuck into it. So he could write it down word for word. And not, I mean, and, and he lived on that, for and 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 as a result, he became this place which he now says he says now that life that I admired, that that at one point brought deep condemnation to me of how how shabby my life was by comparison, which brought me to a great longing to be like him. He says now he says I can actually proclaim that life to you. Now that's an incredible statement, isn't it? That life I can now proclaim. In other words, if you want to know what it was like to, to walk with Jesus, just come and spend a week with me and I'll show you. That's what John's saying. And, and, it, and it's not because I'm fantastic, because I've made my humanity so available and it's been so taken over by the Father and the Spirit and the Son that they can now manifest the same life through me that they were manifesting through, through Jesus. He's, and, this is, and, and he says this, and, I'll, and this is the message. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you or proclaim to you that then it comes the next thing, that you may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The word fellowship has got two basic meanings. It's to be joined together in a common life and to be joined together in a common purpose. You know, when we talk about fellowship, you know, we have fellowship on Sunday night, we haven't got a clue what it is. I mean, to be joined together in a common life, to be joined together in a common purpose. That's the, the meaning of the Greek word koinonia. And, and what, what John can now say is, he says, he says, I'm now sharing the same life with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? And, 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 and I write these things to you that you may have fellowship with us. In other words, I want you to come to the place where you become as much into this as I am, and that your, your life is now just, your humanity is so taken over that you and I've got to be, have become one. You've, you're joined together in a common life, and you're joined together in a common purpose. He said, now I'm writing this to you guys, because that's where God wants to bring you. And, and, as, and as you know, he was writing at a very low period in the history of the church. It was that for I don't know how many years, it just about something like four, thir, what was that? 38 to 40 years 
but the church had been under persecution and the, uh, the, you know, the, the churches had shut into a survival mode rather than evangelistic mode. Things weren't going anywhere. They weren't doing too well. And, all, and what had come against them was not only religious persecution from the Jews, they now had the political persecution from the Roman Empire. And this is where these days we're moving into right now, beloved. Amen? They're very relevant to where we are in the United States. And the, the danger is to shut down, keep quiet, and hide, and not make too much noise so that they don't notice us. Or else we can become the bold, world-changing people that God wants us to be. Amen? And the key is going to be whether this eternal life is in us. And, we, and, and he said, we want you to come and have fellowship with, with us, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. And, and if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses them all sins. So the, the light of God will do three things. First of all, it'll expose the darkness. It'll expose the sin, if you like which is painful. But it's better for that to happen than for us to living, going on blindly in sin, either not realizing it's there or pretending it's not there. I'm saying, well, I can't help it. That's just my nature. Well, it's not God's nature. Amen? And so, so then the first work of light, this all comes in Ephesians chapter 5, but in much greater detail. I've not time to turn to it tonight. The, 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 the first activity of light is to expose. The second activity of light is to destroy I mean, like, like, of course, these days with <coughs> laser beam technology, we're beginning to understand the incredible power of light. And, and, and it's been used in more and more in surgery, and it's so precise and so specific that they can just knock out almost individual cells without damaging the healthy cells around. So laser technology is, is surging ahead in all kinds of wonderful ways. Now, the third purpose of light is, is to create. That's all I've got time to say tonight. So in other words, so what God will do is he'll expose an area that's, that's, that's offensive to him, that's sinful, that, that is spoiling the fellowship, breaking the relationship, and he'll say, look, that's got to be dealt with. And, then, and so the first thing is a bit embarrassing, but, it, but it, it, it's, it's good that he's doing it. Then he says, now I'll destroy it. And then I'll replace that area of failure with an area of success. And I could give testimonies, and I'm sure many people can, of how God got onto me. In my case, I had a, an unclean mind. I struggled with unclean thoughts. I kept my outward appearance and my outward behavior under control. But inside, I was battling for seven years as a Christian with unclean thinking because of the way I lived in my teenagers and 20s. And I had a spirit in me, a spirit of, of uh, I don't know what it was, lust, I suppose, and, 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 I, and I saw in my Bible that again and again, that I, part of my inheritance was to have the mind of Christ. Amen? Let this mind be in you, also Christ Jesus. It's all over the New Testament. And I shared it with, with my fellow worker, another great brother, you know, fine ministry. But he said, look, everybody struggles with sin, and sometimes this sin. He said, it's, it's just part of being a male man. And he said, we all struggle with it. And some, sometimes, you know, the thing is not to let it out to do anything wrong, but you, you'll always have the battle of the mind. And if you pray hard, sometimes you get success. But if you, if you get, get, get then, then you'll fail. Then you go to God and thank God for the blood which cleanses you from another week of failure. Amen? What, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forgive. 
God forbid, perish the thought. Don't you know that the power of grace is to deliver you from sin, not just to reduce it even? Amen? Grace isn't just a means of getting your sins forgiven. Grace is a means of, of taking sin out of your life. And if we, and if we confess our sin, which is the next verse, so it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, my problems were several, but one of them was my, my uncleanness. I had certain fears. My, I had the fear and insecurity of, of uh, you know, I had, to, I had to have money and, and resources of my own because I couldn't trust God completely with my life. And, and, and I had other fears. I, 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 I know I'm going to rule, but I, God had to deal with it. I had a terrible spirit of unbelief. And all these things had to come out of me. And, and the light revealed them. Then the light destroyed them, and then the light created the replacement of what Jesus is like in these respects. And when God gave me a pure mind, as he did, way back in, in 65, I think it was, about that time, it's 40-something years now, and I, I've never struggled with this, and I'm not lying, I've never struggled with these things ever since. God's given me, but I'm very careful, I'm very particular about, you know, I won't watch anything, I don't want this beautiful new mind God's given me to get contaminated. Amen? And so, you know, you may have certain things which you can go and you can say, well, Lord, let the light reveal it and then let the light destroy it. And, and if, if, if I walk in the light as he is in the light, then these things become exposed. And then he will deal with them. Amen? Now, in verse 8, it says something quite important. Um, but if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sin, that, that word is the Greek word, is homologeo, which is not like going to a priest and forgetting your sins or even going to your pastor. It's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that you get alone with God and you say the same thing as God about what's going on. Amen? He'll expose it. Like, like, he, like, he, like I won't go into any examples because Eileen's sitting in the front row. <laughs> <laughs> But, 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 but when God comes, he says, now, that was just bad, Alan. You shouldn't have behaved the way you did. And, uh, and, and, and I'll say, well, she shouldn't have behaved the way she did. You know, blah, blah, blah. And he says, no, come on, let's get down to this. Let, and I've got to say the same thing as God about it. That was sin. It wasn't a justifiable response to, uh, or anything like that. Amen? And if, if I'll say the same thing as God about it, and allow God to get me to agree with him about the fact that it's there, then he can then release the power to take it out of the way. But while I'm pretending it's not there, he can't remove it. Hello? So, so if we say the same thing as God about it, so it's not confession to a priest, it's confession to God. This is my time with God, and in my private times, he'll, he'll pick up and say, well, let's just go over the way you behaved um, Yesterday morning, I think, oh, Lord, I don't want to. He said, well, we, we have to, because I want to get rid of it. Amen? Now, so there's a process going on. But this is how it works. Then he is faithful and just to forgive us of sins and cleanse us from one of much. If we say we do not, say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And, and I could go on and on. This is such a fantastic book, but I think you've got the principle here. Amen? 
and, and so, so there's this, this, with this fellowship, um, it brings us into partnership. Amen? So we can become workers together with God. And we become joined together in a common life and so that my life becomes more and more free from sin, more and more holy, so that I can live in more and more com complete compatibility with God so I can become more and more intimate, get to know him better and better. And I haven't said this, but in all this, this passage of scripture we were reading about knowing him and all that kind of thing, the, the word that's used um, is... Uh, let, let's just turn to Peter for a moment. I mean, you really need to read all of Peter, first, first and second Peter. He's this you know, sunburned, um, tattooed, cussing, scrolling fisherman was, was turned into this amazing holy man of God. Amen? Can you imagine the process that he went through. I mean, some of it's recorded in the Gospels, but, but he hasn't told us half the story. And, and he says, let's go, go to chapter 1. Um, and he talks about... Uh, Now let's go. Let's go. To, that's wonderful. I could spend time. Let's go to chapter to Second Peter. He's writing first of all to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, and he's got the very faith of God, which is not my subject tonight. So I'm not going to get into that, although it's very important. And 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 it's and and he says, "Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God." and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is used again and again by Peter. And the, the word is a, is a, um, it's a, um, what's the word I want? It, it's a, intensified, that's the word. Uh, the word is epinosis, an intensified form of the word that's used when a, a man knows a woman in the holiness of marriage. I mean, in every way, physically, emotionally, in every way. The depth to which you get to know each other when you're married for years and years. He says, now, uh, this is a, a more intensified form of that word. So, so the way that I uh, should come is I know God and I have intimacy with God better than with my precious wife. Amen? That's what Peter's talking about because he's a married man and he's comparing it with, you know, with that. He says, now, I've come to know God in this amazing way. And his divine power, verse 3, has already given to us, past perfect tense, everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And because the translators can't stand it, they mistranslate it, but he's actually through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Isn't that a fantastic phrase? Ooh, isn't that to make you excited? <laughs> Amen? And Peter's talking that way. He's at the end of his life, he's going to be, he's going to be uh, executed soon for his un, unashamed, powerful gospel, the preaching of the gospel, whereas at one time he was so afraid he denied the Lord Jesus. Now he's a totally transformed man. But by which we have been given to us, verse 4, exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may become the partakers. And this is this word, this is the same word koinonia, koinonos here, that you might become sharers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruptions in the world through lust. Have you got that? That word partaker is actually the word koinonos. It's the same word as koinonia. In other words, he's saying, I'm sharing a common life and a common purpose with God. So, so, so Peter's talking the same language. It's all over the New Testament, if I had time to show it to you. Amen? This is where these guys got. All right, so now let's move on. I want to now just spend a few moments and talk about purpose. Okay? And 
the purpose is is uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I've got a whole thing here. I, wrote, I, I just pulled it out here. I'm just going to read it to you, but but uh, I just extracted a few verses. I could have got many more. And Mark 1, verse 38, Jesus said, let us go into the next town for I, that I may preach there also before this purpose I've come into the world. Luke 4, 43, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also because for this purpose I've been sent. John 12, 27, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Acts 2.23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and full knowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and I crucified and put it in. I'm saying this was all part of God's plan. Everything about the cross was totally under the control of Jesus. He made it all work together for him. Amen? Okay. Uh, verse, X, verse X4, 28, to do whatever your hand or your purpose determined for to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your Holy Son, Jesus. In other words, all this terrible persecution that broke out was part of God's plan. Amen? Let's move on. And there's nothing happening in America or anywhere else. And whatever Obama tries to do, not a thing that God hasn't got it completely under control. And he's going to stop what he wants to stop and he's going to make whatever they try to do work for his glorious purpose. Amen? Verse X 26, here's Jesus speaking to Paul after his conversion. Quoted in Acts 26 verse 18. Jesus says to, to this uh, trembling man who's just had a mighty encounter, arise and stand your, your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and have an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Verse 28 of Romans 8. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 9.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we, Amen? Aren't this fantastic? 2 Timothy 1.9, and I've got many more, I'm just going to quote this one. And this is Paul writing to Timothy. Now, Timothy's got a problem, as you see. He was, he's got a, a godly grandmother, he's got a great godly grandfather, and the first question one asks is, well, where are the men here? A, a godly grandmother and a godly mother. What did I say? A grandmother and a mother. So there's a there's a, a female lineage that's gone into Timothy, but he's never had a father as a model or as a or as a mentor, and as a result, he's suffering from certain fears and insecurities. Amen. So he's got fear, the fear, and maybe that's true of you here, or maybe it's true of someone who's going to listen to this tape. But I'm telling you that God says that whatever you know, you say, well, I'm I'm a, I'm a mess today because of the terrible parenting I had, the terrible father ex experience or lack of father experiences I had. Well, whatever it was. God is saying this to you as, as, as he was saying it to Timothy here. And, and this is what he says. He says, um, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not a, according to our works, but according to his own purpose in grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Isn't that fantastic? So before time began, God had purposed 
to make you into a glorious man or woman of God. And whatever parental experiences had, you know, terrible things have happened, maybe in a tragic marriage, or they say, well, I, I'm a mess now because I know you're not. Hello. He's, he's called you, and he's even going to make all those things work together for good. Amen? Get it. Please get it. He, he called you according to his own purpose and grace before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen? So we, we, I could go on and on with this. It's, this is a credible study. But, but I want you to realize that God's got an absolute purpose for your life. And your purpose is to be get, joined together with him in his purpose. And his purpose is very clearly declared. So we become, so, so our life's full of purpose. Amen? And, and, and whatever meandering you've had now, you've got a purpose. Amen? I'm going to close with this now. And the fourth thing I had down was the word passion. And uh, I'm going to just quote a few. Come to Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. And I'm just going to take the example of our Lord Jesus and, and what he imparts to us. Isaiah 9, come to verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, right up to 2009. Amen? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And of course, it, this is quoted in, in Hebrews. And, and, uh, and I want us to go to Psalm 45, just, I, I could, I'm just picking out of dozens of scriptures I could. Come to Psalm 45. I just thought I would get one or two here. And then we're going to close. Psalm 45. And I want us to come in at verse 6. And it's, it's addressing the Lord Jesus. It's one of those prophetic, it's a, it's a composition by David concerning the king. And, and he says to, to, addressing Jesus, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is, of course, quoted in the, in the New Testament and applied to Jesus. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and you've hated wickedness. Now notice the passion there. Both ways. He's a lover of righteousness and he's a hater of wickedness or hater of iniquity. And God isn't isn't easy going about these things. He's not. He's, he, he's passionate. Mm -hmm. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All your garments are scented and myrrh and aloes and cassia, etc., etc. It's a glorious passage of scripture. Amen. And that's quoted in Hebrews chapter one. I wanted to go to one more, and that's Psalm sixty-nine. Just move on a few psalms to Psalm sixty-nine. It comes all over the psalm. And come in at verse 8. I have become a stranger to my brothers and alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up. I, I think perhaps biblically it's better to use the word zeal because passion tends to have a, 
a wrong sexual connotation to it, but, but we're talking about the pure, holy zeal of God. Amen? Zeal. And, and, and you know, my family don't understand me. They all think I'm nuts because the zeal for your house has eaten me up. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me and, and, and so on and so forth. But, but as for me, my prayer is to, is to, to you is acceptable, O Lord, etc. It's a glorious psalm. Amen. And then I'm just going to finish with John. No, that'll do it. Amen. And and so I I'm not as I'm not I. Once you get filled up with God, you get filled up with zeal. I mean, the word that's used quite often is fire. You baptize him with the Holy Spirit with fire. And and I'm, you know, I find more and more I get a passion and a zeal for this thing. And the nearer and nearer I, I get to God, the the more and more. I find he's imparting to me all these things that I've tried to briefly summarize tonight. And he's going to produce, uh, you know, a people, it's not going to be everybody, it's going to be a large enough remnant to turn this nation back to do powerful and wonderful things. And I just want you to pray with me and say, well, Lord, I want to respond correctly. I want to become intimate with you. I want holiness that to ever increasingly fill my being until there's nothing about the way I live and speak and behave that offends you, that, that in any way separates me from you. I want you to be able to draw near to me and I want to be able to draw near to you into an ever-increasing intimacy until my passion for you is, is equal and my love for you is equal to your love for me. And Lord, as I draw near to you, I, I, I thank you for the privilege of having fellowship with God. Truly, I can say, my fellowship is with the Father, with his Son, Jesus Christ. I know what John's talking about. And Lord, I, I share that fellowship with you, the, the fellowship of being joined together in a common life and being joined together in a common purpose. And Lord, I thank you for the, your purpose is clearly declared and your sovereign power to make it all come to pass that even the fury of the devil and the apparently strange and horrible things that happened, you said, no, I, I'm absolutely in control. And when they broke out in persecution of the early church, they recognized that it was, it was your sovereign purpose and that they didn't cry to be hidden, they didn't cry to escape. They said, Lord, just give us boldness to speak your word. And may mighty signs and wonders be done to confirm the name of Jesus. And that's what I pray, Lord. I pray it for us. I pray it for your church, your remnant church in America. I pray it, Lord, for these people that want the things that we've been talking about tonight. I pray, Lord, for this prayer center and everyone who comes in contact with it, that this will literally become their lives. Lord, I pray that we can impart it to others and increase the number of, of this, this passionate, uh, zealous, purposeful people, Lord living in daily intimacy with you. Lord, I want to thank you for the light. And I'm not afraid of the light. I don't hide from the light. I want the light to do its work in me. I want it to expose, I want it to destroy, and I want it to create the, the godly alternative to what was offending you before. And Lord, I, I, I want to walk in the light as you're in the light. And then in, I can have fellowship with you. And I thank you that... The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, can cleanse me from every sin. I thank you, Lord, if I say the same thing over things that you don't like and stop arguing or trying to excuse myself and get down and say, yes, Lord, that's horrible, get it out of my life, then you will be faithful and just 
to forgive and to cleanse. And Lord, I pray for an ever-increasing holy people along these lines. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you.